0: You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. Well, I want to get straight into it tonight. After I have a drink of water. Uh, but uh, I want to uh, share a story from the Old Testament in 2 Samuel. And we're going to look there in just a moment and uh, look at some verses, but let me just tell you the story first, in case you've never heard this particular story. And then we'll look at a couple key verses within this story. Uh, David became the king, and uh, one of the first things that he wanted to do was to bring the Ark of God uh, back to where he lived, back to you know to to Israel that had sort of been taken away. And, and if you don't know, the Ark of God is you know in layman's terms, it was God in a box, and so. Uh, but a bit more special than that, okay? And and so it was this beautiful golden box with golden crafted angels, but the fullness of God, God's presence in the Old Testament was inside of this box. It was the the, the fullness of God's presence. And, And so David wants to bring the ark to where he lived, which I think was Jerusalem. And, and so he, he, he brings the ark and there's a couple guys that they put it on a new cart, which they weren't meant to do. It wasn't the proper way to carry the presence of God because it needed to be on poles that were made to carry the ark. And so they put on a new cart and there's a guy called uh, User and uh, not a good friend to have. He's always take, take, take. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that was a dad joke. Anyway, he's a user. Anyway, all right. And, and so... And so Yuzah and his brother, I think, Ayo, are guiding the cart and the oxen stumble and the ark goes to fall off. And so Yuzah puts out his hand to stop it from falling and God literally kills it. right? He's dead. And so he's dead. And, and so David now freaks out and he's like, man, this is just too much. You can't, how could we ever carry the presence of God? And so the, the ark of God goes to a guy's house called Obed-Edom for three months and he's just ridiculously blessed, like crazy blessed. And the reality is when you carry the presence of God, favour and blessing and prosperity and healing and, and you get the whole package when you value and carry the presence of God. And so David finds out how blessed Obed-Edom is. And so he goes, all right, I'm gonna go back. And, and he looked in the law and found out the proper way to carry the ark. And they go back and they, they get the Levites to carry it on these poles and they take six steps. And then there's this large sacrifice and then there's singing and dancing. And, and David gets so caught up in the moment. So, so he has such a God encounter that he literally starts to take off his clothes. Like, I'm believing for a move of God tonight, but not that, okay? That's the praise party that you can say for when you get home, okay? Especially if you're married. And so, and so David starts taking off his clothes and, and they're just caught up in the moment. And then, and this is, I was talking to Pastor Stacy, Uh, you know, his wife is Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L, which I have a real problem with saying that because, is, is there any females here and that is your name? I just want to make sure I don't offend anyone. All right, good. Uh, 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 and so, because in Australia, we call her Macal, And to me, Michael is a boy's name, okay? And you can't say David married a man because that's just wrong. Anyway, sorry. And, and so, I don't know, let's do a vote. Should I call her Macal? Give me away for Macal, Or who, who, who would rather me do Michael? David or Michael? All right, it's Macal. All right, sorry, Pastor Stacey. And then there was about half that were undecided. All right, and... And so Michal is watching David and, and it says as he's dancing, taking off his clothes in front of the slave girls and, and when he comes in, it actually says to bless her. Uh, before he can even open his mouth, she vomits out all this stuff of how the king has distinguished himself as any vulgar fellow would. And, and, and David says, hey, I'm gonna get even more undignified than that. When I praise God. And it goes on to say that, that Macau became barren all the days of her life. And I wanna speak into the, that a bit. I've called this, this message called Better Together as we're launching into our Connect series. But, but I, wanna, I wanna look at uh, a couple of parts of Scripture. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse three to seven. And, and so this is the part that I first spoke about. They set the Ark of God on the new cart. They brought it from the house of Abdadab. And which was on a hill, Yuza and Ao, sons of uh, Abinadab, were guiding the new cup with the ark of God on it. And Ao was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with ca- castanets, thank you, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. It was old school Pentecostal, they had ribbons as well. When they, when they came to the threshing floor, <coughs> When they, and flags, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Yuza reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And I used to read this story and see, I'm an evangelist. I, I travel the world, That's, this is my job. I travel the world speaking and, and to tell people how much God loves them. And then occasionally there's a story like this. Because think about it, right? User, he's not a. this is not a fairy tale, he's a real guy. He woke up that morning, he kissed these seven or so little Jewish kids with their Jewish hats on, and he kissed all of them. And he said to his wife, today is historic. I'm going to lead the presence of God back. And, 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 you know, he says, when I get home, you invite every friend we've got. We are going to celebrate. And, and, and literally, he's guiding the car. Think about it. The ark goes to fall off. Not his fault. The oxen stumbled. The ark goes to fall off. He did what any one of us would have done. Stop it from falling. God was about to fall off the cart. (coughs) And God kills him. He never sees his kids again. He never sees his wife again. He's dead. And and, and sometimes I'm like, God, I've got to tell everyone how loving you are. But then sometimes you do stuff that just seems a little bit like, do you know what I mean? Like... (coughs) And and I remember God speaking to me. See, I want you to think about this story because there's two parts, okay? We'll say over here is the first part. And often in the Bible, when there's two parts, it represents the fact that there's two parts of the book. There is an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. There is an Old Testament and a New Testament. So this first part of the journey is actually a typology of the first part of the book, the Old Covenant, See, it says this, it says at the start, remember this is at the start of the first part of the journey, the oxen stumbled. Just like at the start of the book, Adam and Eve, they stumbled. They fell short of the glory of God. They stumbled and user's name actually means strength or pride, and what this, this first part of the journey over here is a picture of the first part of the book. Because humanity stumbled, it now became impossible to ever touch the fullness of who God is in your own strength. And it's not that God's a party pooper. It's just that mankind stumbled. And now because of their stumble, there, it is impossible to ever touch the fullness of who God is which is actually the whole purpose of the Old Testament. The whole purpose of the Old Testament was to show you that it's impossible for you to ever be good enough to touch who He is because He's holy and perfect and we are sinful and there is just no way, like oil and water, it's impossible for them to gel together. And so the first part of the journey is a picture of mankind stumbling. And because they're stumbled, they now can't touch the fullness of who God is. And then we get to the second part, we'll call it over here. The second part of the journey is in verses 12 to 14. David has looked, and you could read this if you looked in, I think it's in our Chronicles. David inquires of, of the Lord and he finds out that they should have carried the, the, the ark on poles and verses 12 to 14, it says this, second Samuel, <clears throat> it says, now King David was told the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And so now this, remember, this is now the second part of the journey. So the first part represents the first part of the book, the first covenant. The second part represents the second part of the book. And the reason why it was important that they carried the Ark of God on the shoulders is because it was a prophetic statement of what would come in the next part of the journey in the New Covenant, that there would come a day that even though it should be impossible to ever touch the fullness of God, an ex-drug addict that was mentally ill has no business being able to touch the fullness of who God is. But in the second part of the journey, they had to carry it on the shoulders because it was prophesy that even though the first part of the book showed us that it's impossible, there's gonna come a day in the second part of the book where mankind will carry the fullness of God upon their shoulders, not just on Sunday, but on Monday and on Tuesday and into the workplace and into the home. And so in the second part of the journey... David saw that it should have been impossible, but now he's seeing that, that, that man is carrying the fullness of God. But how did what was impossible become possible? Well, they put it on the shoulders, and then the first thing they did is they took six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six steps. I mean, well, why not four? Why not 12? Why not 10? The, the number six in the Bible, in Bible numerology, is the number of man. They took six steps, and then there was a... Sacrifice. So, in other words, what was impossible now has become possible because six steps, a man, and then a sacrifice. It was prophetic that one day what should be impossible for a drug addict to touch the presence of God, but one day a man, six steps, a man will come and he'll pay the ultimate price so that every human being can carry. The fullness of God upon our shoulders. <clears throat> and, and and really, so it's the first part of the journey, the second part of the journey. And in a sense, you could almost say it's the moment of salvation. You know, that everyone has that first part where it's woe unto me, I fall short. See, when I was in sin before I knew of God, I didn't even realize it was sin. But then I had a moment when His presence came and I was woe unto me, I fall short. But thankfully, I didn't just stay there. I then moved to the second part of the journey. And yes, I fall short, but I saw the man whose name was Jesus who paid the price so that He could come into my life. And you could say it's the old, covenant, the new covenant, in the first part, the, and the second, you could say it's the moment of salvation, but then who knows that there's a whole lot of living on the other side of that moment. And this story also paints a picture of two people in one David and one Mical, who are both watching what has just unfolded. And two people are watching, if you think about this stage one and stage two, you could call it the goodness and grace of God. It's the gospel. It's looking at the fact that it should be, I should be disqualified because of sin, but I'm not because of the man, Jesus Christ. It's the goodness of God. And and David is focused on the goodness of God and he becomes fruitful in almost everything he does. And Michal is not focused on the goodness and grace of God and she remains barren all the days of her life. See, what I would put to you in this message. See, the other thing, if you notice, Macal, it paints a picture, and we can see it in a moment, but it paints a picture of her being alone from a window. Whereas David is surrounded by people. He's in a connect group. They're, they're eating food, they're dancing, they're worshiping, he's surrounded by people. And what that does is helps keep him focused on the goodness and grace of God which causes him to be fruitful, whereas Macau is alone and isolated and focusing on the wrong things, which causes her to become barren all the days of her life. See, because what you need to understand is what you focus on determines your perception. And your perception determines whether you are barren or fruitful. See, if it was just what Jesus did for me determines whether I'm barren or fruitful, then everyone in the room would be 100% maxed fruitful. You get what I'm saying? Because He did it perfect. He hit a home run. but, But see, it's not just in a sense, of course it is only what He did, but it's our perception of what He did, the way that we perceive it. And what you focus on in life determines your perception And your perception determines whether you're fruitful or barren. Let let me show you an example. Two criminals on a cross. Both of them are about to die that day. They'll both be dead. They're on a cross, one on each side of Jesus. One of the criminals focuses on what the crowd is saying as they mock Jesus. He is literally yards away from the very person that could give him eternal life. And instead of focusing on Jesus, he focuses on what the crowd is saying as they mock and jeer Jesus. And because he's focused on what they're saying, his perception is distorted and he too joins the crowd and mocks the very one that could have given him eternal life. But on the other hand, there's another criminal that instead of focusing on what the crowd was saying, he focused in on who Jesus was. And he started to say, this is a good man. This man doesn't deserve death. And because he was focused on the right thing, his perception was true. Therefore, he asked the right question. And he said, Jesus, will you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus turned and said, assuredly today you will be with me in heaven. (laughs) See, what you focus on determines your perception And your perception determines whether you are barren or fruitful. And the reality is the devil knows this better than you. And that's why there is a fight for our focus. And I believe Mikkel focused on three things that we all often trip up on. And it's why we need each other. It's why we're better together. And there's these three things. And I want to show you. The first one is Mikkel focused. See, it wasn't God that made her barren because it says David got so caught up in the Holy Spirit. He's generous to everyone, he's buying them food. He's, so, so you can see David is being generous. He's, he gives everyone cake and food and he, he's making sacrifice, he's praising God. See, because when you're focused on stage one and two, When you're focused on the fact that it should have been impossible for this boy, the life he lived, to ever be able to touch the fullness of God, when you're focused on the goodness of God, you can't help but praise Him. You can't help but be generous. You can't help to sacrifice. See, what I'd put to you, if you've stopped sacrificing, being generous, or praising, maybe your focus has shifted from the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ but Macau, I believe let her focus go other places which distorted because it says David was on his way to bless his family he was so full of the Holy Ghost he's getting ready to prophesy over her he's getting ready to give her words he's getting ready to tell her about her future and her destiny and before he can even open his mouth she vomits all of this stuff because her perception was distorted because of what she'd been focusing on. The first thing I believe she focused on was what others thought, insecurity. See, the Bible calls her the daughter of Saul. Saul lost the kingdom because of insecurity. See, Saul was consumed by what others thought rather than what God thought. See, there's a moment where God says, don't sacrifice. Or Samuel, representing the Word of God, says, don't sacrifice until I arrive. And Samuel arrives late and he hears the bleeding of sheep being sacrificed and he says, what is going on? The word was don't sacrifice. And Saul's response was, well, it was the people. They wanted me to do it. In other words, I cared more about what the people thought of me than what God thought. And then this amazing thing, Samuel rips his garment and he says, today the kingdom will be taken from you. And you know what Saul says? He says, Samuel, will you at least appear before the people so that everything still seems to be okay? Okay. Instead of throwing himself on the ground like David would have done and said, God, I'm messed up. I'm sorry. I need you. God, instead of doing that, he, he was consumed by what others thought and it was what ultimately cost him the kingdom. The Bible calls Michal the daughter of Saul. She was focused on what others thought. I remember a funny story. I, it was a long time ago when I, I, I think I was saved about two years And uh, in my own church, I got saved. This church, about 300 people, kind of, you know, small enough where everybody knows each other kind of thing. And and, and I felt very secure. And the reason I felt secure, because in my church, that small kind of church where everyone knew each other, I I was like golden boy. You know, I was the kid that was mentally ill, messed up on drugs, went on a church encounter and bang, I'm set free. Do you know what I mean? I was like the trophy that they keep getting up on stage. And... And then, you know, within a couple of weeks, God tells me as a brand new Christian that I'm gonna marry the best looking girl in the whole church. And, and eventually that comes to pass, even though there were several other men that had the same word. I was the only one that got the girl. And, and so, and then we started a youth group and like, seriously, I have no church background at all. And it grew to like a hundred plus in, in a very short amount of time. And, and I felt very secure. Because why wouldn't I, in my church, everybody knew of my great exploits. I could walk in and high five and, you know, like, and, and, and I, so I felt very secure. And about two years into my Christianity, I went on this, I was now a youth pastor, so I went on this uh, uh, youth pastors kind of conference in another city. And we, I think we had just hit 150 people, I can't remember if it was 100, 150. And, and I'm, I'm going there, I'm like, this is gonna be amazing. You know, like I'm already killing it, I felt secure. And, 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 you know, like, I'm going to just go there and God's going to tell me how awesome I am and how to go to the next level. And, and so I'm on my way there. And there was this one person that I was actually the most insecure about. His name was James McPherson. And I didn't even really know him, but he was the youth pastor a couple before me. And the reason I was insecure is because every now and again, my leaders would say things like, oh, James was my favourite preacher. And in my heart, I go, I hate this guy, James. And... and And James used to, he was a writer and he used to write us letters and I've still got his letters at home and James this and James. And so I didn't even realise, but in my heart, I had insecurity towards this guy, James. And so I go to this conference and I walk in, I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. God's just setting me up for blessing. I feel confident, secure. I literally walk into the doors of a building about this size, there's 500 people. And I walk in and the moment I walk in, I am hit with insecurity. And it was like God set me up to show me what was really in my heart that was actually being hidden by my community that sort of gave a false sense of security. And I literally walk in and, I, and it was like fear and insecurity just came over me and, and I couldn't look at anyone. I keep my head down and I couldn't make conversation. And I'm like, what is, like literally normal outside the building and then bang, it was like God pulled the curtain back and said, let, let me show you what's really in your heart so we can deal with it. And then I'm in worship and I'm just like, oh, this is like terrible, I feel terrible. And then a guy called Russell Evans, who was leading the meeting, who runs Planet Shakers, he gets up and he says, I've got a word. He says, God just told me there's people here and you're really struggling with insecurity. And I thought, oh, finally, because I was feeling terrible. You know, here comes some encouragement, you know, like, because I'm feeling so bad and I feel insecure. And he says, the word God told me to tell you is that you need to know your insecurity is pride and you need to repent of your sin. And I'm like, I'm like, God, I'm golden boy. What are you doing? You know, like. And so literally for the next two or three days, it was the worst conference I've ever been to in my life. I literally deliberately arrived late so I didn't have to talk to anyone and I left early so that I didn't have to talk to people. And I was just consumed. And it gets to the last day and a guy called Reggie Dabbs, powerful American evangelist, he gets up and he does this altar call and, and, and he says, all right, if you're a male, there's 500 people, all youth pastors, youth leaders. He said, if you're a male and you're just in a season where you're hot for God, you're on fire, you're in a good season. He says, I want you to come and make a line along this altar. It's about the same size of this church. And and, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, I could have answered your stupid altar call three days ago until I came to this dumb conference. And apparently now I'm backslidden and full of pride. (coughs) And so I just knew there was no way. Like literally two days before I would have been standing there, right? I'm like, there is no way I could stand there with any integrity because I feel like terrible. And he says, all right, now, if you're a female, same thing, you're hot for God, blah, blah, blah. He says, I want you to come and make a line, you know, a few yards kind of over facing the guys. And so what he's doing is he's making this massive tunnel. And then he says, all right, everyone else, and there's maybe 100 or 200 of us left. Everyone else, you're gonna walk through the tunnel and all these people are gonna pray for you and the power of God's gonna come on you. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm not going through your stupid tunnel. There's not a chance. Like, because the guys standing there were all my heroes and leaders, the ones I wanted to impress the most. And now I've got to go through the backslidden tunnel at the Youth Pastors Conference, and I promise you I'm 100%, I'm not doing it. And then I have this moment, I'm standing, imagine this building but full of chairs to the back, and, I, and I'm sitting sort of over there, and I'm, I'm not doing it. And then all of a sudden I get this realisation that I'm about to be the only person in an auditorium of 500 chairs, and I'm in the third altar call, too proud to admit, me needs to go through the tunnel. <clears throat> and I promise you for no other reason, except I realised I was gonna be, like standing out, I quickly jumped on the end of the line. And so I go through the tunnel, I come down here and I don't know if that's messing up the camera or anything, but anyway, uh, it is, I'm sorry. Uh, We're on live stream as well, aren't we? All right, I better stay in the light. And so (coughs) hello to everyone on live stream. And so I go through the tunnel and I say to myself, this is the last session. I said, I'm gonna put my head down. I'm not gonna make eye contact with one person. I'm gonna to get to the end of this tunnel and I'm gonna hop on a plane and I'm never coming back to this stupid conference again. And so I get in and I've got my head down. And I'm just walking and they're all like, you know, like all speaking in tongues. And so I get down and all I can see is the floor and then I'm getting towards the end and I can see at the corner of my eye that the wall is gonna come up soon. So I say to myself, I'm going to look up once just to see where the wall is so that I know where to turn and then I'm out of here. I walk past 300 people and the only time at the end that I look up, I lock eyes with a guy called James McPherson. I literally come out of that tunnel and I fall to my knees and I'm going to weep in the presence of God. And God starts to speak to me and says, Lucas, get your eyes off yourself and put them on me. Get your eyes off what you've done or even thinking what other people think about you and get your eyes on what I think about you and who I say that you are. You know the amazing thing. My first church was an incredible church. Had a real ministry to minister to people like, you know, that had been on drugs. It was like a hospital. They healed my heart. They gave me my first chance at preaching and let me be a youth pastor way before I was ready and all that kind of stuff. And so they gave me opportunity, but but it was a hospital. It wasn't a church that was fully, you know what I mean? Like it didn't have strong leadership. And it was about five years after that moment that I actually went to work for a guy called James McPherson who was one of the most known senior pastors in my nation at that time. For the last eight years, I've been traveling all over the world, preaching at some of the greatest churches. And and I have to say one of the biggest reasons why I'm doing that is because I connected to a guy called James McPherson. And if I had never dealt with my insecurity, I wouldn't have stepped into my destiny because your destiny is always connected to other people insecurity will keep you isolated and alone, but the way you get to the next level is to push the insecurity to the side, get around people that are better than you, a better mum than you, a better dad than you, a better business person than you, a better prayer than you, better with their finance than you. And as you get around them, by getting around them, it's what takes you to the next level. Don't let insecurity keep you at home on connect night. The, the 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 insecurity of, yes, it's a big deal to walk through that door, especially if you're new, but walking through that door could be the greatest thing that you ever do because of the people you connect with, that'll take you to another level. The second thing she focused on was disappointments. Disappointments of the past. I think one of the biggest things that knocks people out of the church is disappointments. And, and so, you know, you gotta understand that Mikkel, she grew up and she was the princess. She was Saul's daughter. She was the royal family, in a sense, the, the dynasty. And, and you know, every time celebrities or important people came, they paid attention to her because she was the princess. But then, in a moment, her father is killed. Her brother Jonathan, who should have been the next king by blood, is also killed and she loses the dynasty. And now she's married to David. See, but what she saw as a disappointment actually had her set up for something even greater. See, as a princess, she was blessed. But as a woman in that particular time, the greatest thing that you could actually achieve as a woman was to give birth to a king. So actually, because of her disappointment, if she could have stopped focusing on the disappointment, God would have turned the disappointment into the very thing that set her up to now be in a position to do something she never could have done as a princess. Now she could have given birth to the next king. See, if disappointment is gonna happen in your life. I don't wanna be the prophet of death, but the reality is we live in a fallen world and we're all gonna face disappointment. And, but the but the it's not your disappointments that define you, but how you respond to your disappointments, because if you can take your eyes, someone needs to hear this. If you can take your eyes, Mikal couldn't get her eyes off the disappointment. She couldn't get her eyes off the fact that her family had been killed and lost the dynasty. But if she could have taken her eyes away from the disappointment and put them on stage one and two on the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ, the fact that it should have been impossible, but he did. If you can turn your eyes to that, God will use the disappointment to catapult you into your destiny. And it's another reason why we need to be in a connect group. Because let me tell you, when disappointment comes, it's so easy. Three months ago, Jackie and I had one of our greatest disappointments to do with visas and green cards. And it's amazing how it can cause you to become jaded in your thinking. It's amazing how major disappointment can all of a sudden, little by little by little by little, I end up getting jaded and negative in my thinking. That's where if I'm isolated like Macau, then then that, that that mindset perception will cause me to start to become barren in my life. But when I've got people around me, the whole purpose of a connect group is when I'm down, I've got people to grab my head and say, hey, stop focusing over there. Put your eyes back on the goodness and grow of Jesus Christ. Lucas, you're speaking a bit negative. Come on, man. You need to get your eyes back to the goodness and the grace. Remember, it should have been impossible, but He stepped into your world anyway and He died so that you could be with Him. And then the last one, just if the worship team could come, the last one is this, is offenses of the past. She focused on offenses of the past. You know, there's one promise that we don't really stand on and nor should we but Jesus says, offense must come. And I'm gonna write that on my mirror, you know, like, just believing for offense today. (laughs) Promise of God. But what Jesus is saying is because of humanity, even in a church, let let me just, again, I don't wanna be the prophet of death, but if you haven't been offended yet, give it a bit of time. It, It won't be that long. Could be any number of people, a friend, a leader, and, and there's never any evil intention. It's just called humanity. And, and so I believe offense, she was instead of focus on the goodness of grace, of God, she was focused on offense toward her husband. You see, the Bible actually tells us that Mikel, she loved David. And, and and if you think about it right, David, he was like the, the, the pin-up boy of Israel. You know, he was the poet. He's writing songs. He's slaying giants. He was good-looking, he was well-built. Like every Jewish girl dreamt about David. And Michal got him. And, and and there's this moment where her dad is about to kill David, and he hears about it. So she says, "All right, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put stuff under the, the, the quilt and I'll put some goat's hair and I'll tell them you're sick so that you can escape. Now, when you do that, you know that that plan, you'll eventually be caught out. That, that's 100%. Like event, like the goat hair is not gonna rise and be David. Do you know what I'm saying? Like eventually they're gonna find out. But she did it and they kept coming and saying, where is he? Saul wants to see David. Saul wants, and she's oh, he's sick, he's sleeping. He'll come soon. And David flees to the caves. And eventually, of course, she's caught out and she's disgraced. She chose her husband over her own father, the king. But she loved him. And I imagine this young girl, Macau, sitting on the end of her bed thinking, David will come for me soon. A week or two goes by and he'll come soon. He'll send word soon. Then a month or two goes by and she starts hearing reports that they're all in caves and some of the other men have their wives and she says, Surely he'll come soon. Then six months turns into 10 months, into 12 months, into years. And then eventually her father makes her marry another man. And and forgive me for being gross, but as she fulfills her marital duty, I imagine him on top of her and all she can think about is David who never sent for me. I, I risked everything. I lied to my father, but he never came back. And when David walked up to that, that, that balcony and he's ready to bless her, all she saw was the man that let her down. And she remained barren all the days of her life because she couldn't turn her eyes from the offence that will come to all of us. But we have to choose to say, I'm gonna turn from the offence, even if it feels justified, and I'm gonna put it on the goodness and grace of Jesus that it should have been impossible for me, but He stepped in, a man came that sacrificed. And that's why we need community as well. I don't want friends that I get around and when I start bickering about someone that did me wrong, that start agreeing with me. I want friends that need to pull me up and say, hey, Lucas, you know that you need to forgive because otherwise it's my perception that becomes distorted and now I'm barren instead of being fruitful like God wants. You know, last last story and then we'll pray. The, The thing in, we're better together, we need each other because the devil is trying to get our focus. But if we keep our focus on the goodness and grace of God, our perception is true and we become fruitful and that's what we need each other. Because when disappointment comes, I don't wanna be trying to build friendships then. I need to have already built the friendships so that when that does happen, I've got people to speak into my life. But there's this thing in, in, in uh, poker, there's this unbeatable hand. And I don't know what your view on gambling is and. You know, but if you ever get this hand in Bible, in Bible, if you ever get this hand in poker, sort of the same, both five letters. If you ever get this hand in poker, the royal flush of hearts, whether you believe in gambling or not, you should bet everything you've got on this one because it's not gambling because you can't lose. It's the best hand. There's only one way technically that you could lose with the Royal Flush of Hearts. That's the Ace, King, Queen, Jack, 10 of Hearts. It's only one way, technically. Like like really you can't, but if you were playing against someone that was pretty crafty and a liar, and you didn't know the rules that well of poker, and somehow that crafty person convinced you that they had a better hand than you, then you might fold the unbeatable hand and then you actually lose. See, there's a lot of Christians that are folding the unbeatable hand. And yes, sometimes we get dealt a really bad hand. Like cancer, a diagnosis, that's a tough hand. That's like, that's the devil throwing down four of a kind. But before you get consumed by the four of a kind, you need to say, all right, devil, let me just check my cards for a moment. And you have a look at this and you say, devil, you're not gonna believe it, but I've got the royal flush of hearts. His name is Jesus and He trumps cancer. Maybe your husband walked out of you and he left you with the kids because he went with another woman. Let me seriously be empathise with you that's a rough hand and yes there's a process of healing don't ever get me wrong we can process healing But eventually you've got to take a moment where you say, okay, yes, I acknowledge that is a tough hand, but let me check my cards again, devil. You're not going to believe it. It's the royal flush of hearts again. His name is Jesus. No matter what the hand the devil throws at you, when you focus on the goodness and grace of Jesus. And God made it so that we need each other. Because all of us are prone to lose our focus, to allow a perception to be distorted. And I need brothers and sisters that will come around me and turn my head back to the goodness and grace of Jesus. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.